Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing the question and answer episode, the new episode that actually just tacks on at the end of every half season. I think it's become a tradition now as we uh, looks like it. As uh, we will do the best of season three at the end of the month. We've now added a question and answer where we're answering your questions. So we really appreciate you guys uh, taking this opportunity to interview us. Uh, if you would like to ask a question for the next question and answer episode, head to whatyouwillearn.com slash question. And also, we've got a survey which is dictating the next books we're doing, what direction we're taking the podcast, what other projects we should be doing, including you know what type of book we might be writing, all this kind of stuff. So if you've got any guidance and direction you can give us, we would be highly appreciative. So head to whatyouwillearn.com slash survey. We definitely appreciate uh, any and all insight you can give us. The first question we've got here is Samudu from Melbourne. Hey guys, it's Samudu from Melbourne. Um, huge fan of the show. Uh, wanted to ask three questions. So uh, firstly, um, how do you make your notes? Do you guys write all over the book like Bill Gates or have like a segmented index card type process like Robert Greene or something unique? Uh, secondly, um, how do you guys uh, review your notes and learning? And uh, do you categorize them or do you have some freeform method for it? And lastly, um, how do you go about ensuring you actually take action on the learnings? There's so many books that you read every week, sometimes contradictory, but um, you know it's evident that you guys do take action on at least some of these items. So how do you go about that process? Big thanks to Samudu for the question. The first couple of questions are how do we, you know, how do we take our notes, how do we make our notes, and how do we also then review the notes and review the learnings. So I think for I can speak for both of us when I say that as we're going, we're definitely actively reading in the sense that we're doing a few squiggles, highlighting sections, putting boxes and circles around sections, uh, even sometimes like writing specific notes as we go through the book. And then the next step after that is to then go back and spend more and more time now, probably over two hours to then review those notes. So digitally typing up uh, either in uh, like a document or in a mind map, going through those highlights. So going through the best bits. And then we do a bit of engineering to structure it into a bit of an episode. So rather than just, uh, you know, the a random scattergun of the best bits, we try to structure it in some kind of way that we can then talk about. Uh, and then the, the other person then jumps on and edits or refines that. We have a bit of a discussion between each other. Then we jump in and, and record and then obviously listening to, back to it again when we're either editing or listening to the episode. So there's a fair few layers there. Mm, absolutely. And then like on top of that, now we've done all the episodes, there's a serious bank of notes we've just got sitting there as well. Mm. So it's pretty straightforward for us to go back through them and then if we're doing a Q&A episode like this, we can actually just do a quick word search on one note and find, oh yeah, what was the idea around that concept and really easy to bring to the top of the mind. Um you can actually, everyone can actually access these notes as well. It's whatyouwillearn.com slash notes. Yeah. Yeah. Slash notes. If you want to check it out, I highly recommend it. Uh, the third part of your question was how do you take action on, on the learnings? So very early days, we had a force mechanism in yep. the podcast for us <laughs> to do this. To. It was called, the episode was called Take Action. Yep. <laughs> and uh, every five episodes, we'd talk about taking action and Mate, it was a big flop. I don't know if anyone's still listening from those days. That was like in the, the first couple of months. We had a few people call into the show. 
um, <laughs> as well. Who your mates who you messaged beforehand? Can you please call this number? But anyway, we'll take it. Yeah, exactly. And we yeah we we called it take action. And we thought you know we'll try and pick one thing from each book, or you know even that's probably maybe too much. Even one thing from the month that we'll try and apply. Mate, we only did it once. We <laughs> only did action. it once. And obviously, when you read this much, there's only so many actions you can you can take, right? If you take an action from every book, so we've done 200 books. Fuck, it'll be a, a, lot of it'll be a really <laughs> tough day. <laughs> it'll be a lot of work and not much play yeah. or trying to get trying to please everything. So some books are immediately obvious on how to take action and the return is immediately obvious as well. Something like Deep Work comes to mind, mm. something like Digital Minimalism and books like this where straight away you can do something, whereas 90% of books really don't fit in that category. You just learn something that... Uh, there will be some circumstances that come in the next few years that present themselves where you can actually apply the learning. Yeah, definitely. Some of them, are, there are specific tangible action tied to it. Like you say, maybe digital minimalism or deep work, maybe you delete the Facebook app off your phone or maybe um, one of the marketing books, you might go and edit the About Us page on your website or maybe one of the habit formation books, maybe you take on many habits and you do one push-up a day. Uh, that's the obvious ones. Some of the other types might fall into either the behavioral change or a change in the way that you think. Uh, like say, you know, we all like to talk about ourselves and so maybe the laws of human nature, we realize we're so narcissistic. Maybe we try to catch ourselves when we're talking too much about ourselves and try to stop ourselves. Or maybe, you know, we read a book on body language and we try to look out for it every now and then. Just, to, you know, throughout the day, maybe we remember to look out for someone who's hunched over and looking a bit aggressive or mm. just things like that that you catch yourself throughout the day. And I don't think they're conscious, those ones. Like I'm, I'm this in the same category for book of body language. Uh, I don't consciously try and do anything, but I can definitely notice mm. uh, a lot of the time when I'm in rapport with people or you're at a bar and you can see where their legs are pointing or laws of human nature. Every now and then, for example, reading about envy, I can detect envy very quickly now and something I didn't used to be able to do. And uh, there's there's a lot of these little things that really are in, in different areas that uh, come up every now and then. The next, we've got a written question, uh, Tim from the UK. And Tim says, Hey, Adams, interested to know what your criteria for what makes a good book or what makes a book a good ROI, return on investment. Is it practical techniques, new ways of looking at the world, a challenge to your values or something else? Bonus points for examples of good ROIs as you consider them. Thanks, Timmy. So when you look at return on investment, there's really return divided by investment. So there's Ooh. two ways you can look at this equation. Ooh. <laughs> Mate, oh, I'm, just, I'm liking where this is going. You're a mathematician. <laughs> but then, so return, I think you can go into a few different categories. First of all, it's simply just something that's really immediate, a paradigm shift changes the way I look at things or sparks some immediate action, like looking at the previous question, or it might, as you said, challenge my values completely. So some categories of these these immediate huge benefits, uh, we mentioned a few earlier, but like obvious ones are the Alan Carr episodes. This is some a spiel I always have when we do any public speaking or anything like that, but it's a real obvious return on investment in this case. You know, used to be a pack-a-day smoker, quit that, and then all of a sudden, I'm probably saving hundreds of thousands of dollars and additional years lived on a very small investment. The second part of the return is I'd put into a, like a long-term and compounding kind of category, and that's when you're learning new things that you're interested in. And you might disagree with these things I'm about to pop on you, <laughs> yeah. but like a Carl Sagan, 
Yuval Noah Harari, things like that. They seem pretty arbitrary. So Yuval Noah Harari, I'm talking about Sapiens and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And, you know, picking one thing from Sapiens, for example, he talks about how human the human species really evolved as a storytelling animal. And this is how we actually conquered the world. And Astro over here would be thinking, oh, fucking who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> but, you yeah. know, when you, I think when you collect enough nodes together about the world, you can start joining a lot more dots in different ways. And, you know, those the dot joining procedure isn't immediately obvious. But I'll give you an example. I was at the Wilson's Promontory on the weekend and that idea of, uh, of how stories run our lives, right? So we were, went for a trek up the top of a mountain. My girlfriend was scared of heights. She edged to the corner, was basically just kicking her dax for lack of a better word. She was almost <laughs> in tears. And the narrative she told herself walking down that mountain, mountain was, oh, I'm, I suck, I'm afraid of heights, I'm a loser. It was, it was around those terms. And um, just immediately I thought, all right, we're going to change this narrative and it, t- it changed the herd just being courageous, at least facing a fear and stepping out to the edge. Ooh, so yeah. you might not see, the links might not be obvious, but I know deep down it was understanding that we're storytelling animals and there's big moments like that where the narrative mm-hmm. you tell yourself has a really big deal. Like the narrative you wake up every day, you can say, you know, fuck yeah, fantastic, I'll get a day full of challenges where I can actually grow. Or fuck yeah, or fuck no, I'm staying in bed because there's all these challenges out there waiting for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, and sorry, nice. mate, there's oh, still popping on you there. Yeah. So that, that was the return side of the equation. Now you've got the investment side of the equation, mm. and that is quite simply just being a really efficient book, really quick to get to a message and deliver it precisely and profoundly and not having way too much fat inside it. So I think there's like a Seth Godin, we always say he's got the best efficiency in terms of learning per word Mm. yeah i like it a lot mate i agree with most of that stuff there as well and uh you know pretty much all the things tim listed in this question makes a good roi for me you know he said practical techniques new ways to look at the world challenge your values i think almost almost all books uh will have a a positive roi in that for 30 bucks and eight to ten hours of reading time it's almost always going to be worth your time Obviously, some more than others. A few specific ones to add, add on top of yours. For me, the best ROIs are probably in the sweet spot between not too epic and not too specific. So for me, too epic is probably the Carl Sagan, <laughs> probably Sapiens as well, Lessons of History. They're sort of too epic uh, where it, I, don't, I haven't yet applied to everyday life. And then too specific is probably like $100 Startup, Escape from Cubicle Nation, some of those early mm. business books we did that are... You know, maybe they're not super relevant. Maybe they don't work all the time. Maybe they're trying to give you the silver bullet that doesn't really exist. I think the sweet spot is between those two that are probably the overarching techniques or strategies. Like maybe like influence. You've got the six weapons of of influence. That's like the six overarching ideas, but he's not telling you specifically write exactly this in your text or do exactly this. Or say like originals as well. Some ideas about how to make change rather than the specific change that you want to make. So I think that's my sweet spot is not too specific, not too epic, something you can apply to everyday life. Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks for the amazing podcast that you guys put out. The question that I had is how you guys remain so consistent producing the content. Uh, It must get pretty difficult with your schedules. I just wanted to know if there are any strategies or ways that you find make it easier for you to remain consistent and continue to put out the uh, awesome podcast. Thanks, guys. For me, a big one is definitely the 
uh, accountability side of it uh, in that it does take a lot of time uh, and effort throughout the week to not only read the books but then also prepare the episode and it's taking us more and more time each week to as we try to make better and better episodes. I must admit if I was doing it solo, I probably would have given up within a year, I reckon. So having one other person that I'm uh, strictly accountable to is definitely a big help. I think also the identity side of things as well of like, I'm a podcaster now. This is like the thing I do every single week. So that that also that almost internal accountability and also the accountability of knowing that there are people out there sort of, you know, someone's listening, they're expecting an, an episode to come their way. So I think that accountability side of it and also just then the, the routine side of it, reading every day, doing a podcast every week, it sort of just becomes habit and becomes locked in. Yeah, the habit of reading, once it's in the habit, makes it much easier. And I've probably realized quite recently is one of the biggest ways I've created this habit is through the endorphin rush of looking at the download hits that we get. Um, Only because recently I've given up after reading Digital Minimalism looking at our download hits. Yeah. Because it's like very similar to getting Facebook likes is looking at our downloads for the day for the (laughs) podcast. So when I get that little hit, it's linked to actual reading. Mm. So I've felt my, since I've quit that, that endorphin hit, my reading habits been a little bit more difficult, so I've actually guessed the password you had for the podcast. <laughs> oh, mate, I got the message from you today. Yeah. I had no idea what it meant. No, <laughs> no, no I guess it. I guess you're right. So I'm back on the um, the endorphin hits, which are gonna uh, get my reading habit back oh, up again. So funny, mate. I was I had no idea why you sent me that message, but now it all it all makes sense. You're back on. Yeah, um, mate. The other thing I think is just very tightly aligned to the personal benefits, you know, obviously, you know, reading, we're learning stuff, we're improving our skills, improving our knowledge, improving our networking. So there's all those intrinsic benefits that we derive from it as well. Thanks, Jacob. Next, we got Connor from England. How do you know whether to push on with your idea to your side hustle or whether the market is already saturated enough? Uh, Connor, it's a bloody tough question uh, to ask and a tough one to answer. And unfortunately, it's probably not a, a single point in time that you only have to decide this once. It's something that you is constantly going to be nagging away in the back of your mind. If you're trying something that's a little bit different, a little bit tricky, a little bit tough, all the time you're going to be asking, is this working or is it time to give up? So you've got to keep making this decision. So I think a few things to take into account in making this decision. Firstly, what kind of, uh, what kind of investments are you making? in terms of your time, your energy, your money. You know, if you're just burning cash every single week and you're seeing, seeing no potential for rewards, it's probably a good time to quit. Uh, if you're, you know, just spending time and, and tweaking and tinkering and doing different things along the way and, you know, maybe this specific thing's not working but you're developing new skills and you're learning things that don't work and you're getting new ideas that what might work next – then it's probably something to, to keep going on. So weighing up the costs and benefits of what you're doing now, but then also weighing up the, the costs and benefits of what you could do instead. So you know what, what's the other alternative? Is it maybe putting this one to the side and trying something else? Uh, or is it you know, staying within what you're doing but trying something completely different? Mm. Yeah, and if you do what Ashto kind of said, when he gets to the point where things aren't working, if you haven't spent too much on and and invested too much time and money in, into everything this the, the pain of the sunk costs aren't isn't going to be nowhere near as much so i think from the from the outset whenever you can just invest as little as you possibly can uh then it's a good thing 
So I'll add a, a second bit to those answer and it comes from two different angles which are pretty much opposite. I think intuitively with these kind of things, if you ask yourself deep down whether you should keep be keeping on going or whether you should quit, you'll probably find the answer and a lot of the time it, it's a really uncomfortable answer that you, you'll be taking on. So that's from the intuitive kind of approach. But at the same time, I think if you set yourself some criteria for the next few months uh, and if you don't meet this criteria, then it's something that you should be dropping straight away as opposed to not meeting that criteria that you didn't set in the first place and you get to that point and then you just forget really how shit you might actually be going in, in reality. Yeah, definitely. Man, I'll just add on top. Sometimes it, you do have to make that tough decision and I think it comes down to two different types of persistence. One is persistence of you know keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you know If you keep putting in the effort and keep trying, maybe eventually it will work so that the persistence of keeping going in the same thing that you're doing. And the second type of persistence is the ability to keep going in terms of starting something new. So the persistence of this one didn't work, but I'm going to try the next one. This one didn't work, I'm going to try the next one. So both types of persistence are required at different times. So it's important to work out which type you need right now. Do you need to keep pushing and trying a little bit harder with what you're already doing or do you need to stop and have the persistence of being willing to start again? I like that one. I show well done. Franz Johansson. Oh, was it? Yeah. I think I ripped it from him. Yeah, you can claim it. Yeah. <laughs> it's mine now. Hi, guys. This is Matt from California. Thanks for your shout out during the leverage lesson. Uh, I had a question for you. I was wondering if you guys uh, still read fiction books. Like, do you have time for it? Did you used to read them, but now you're doing all this? Um, if you do, what uh, books do you read and like and recommend? Or if you used to, what have you read and you liked? And uh, that's about it. Thank you. Thanks, Matty. I'm going to be honest, mate. <laughs> what was the leverage lesson, Ashton? Do you remember? <laughs> I do remember Matt from California. Yeah, well, I remember He's you. He's a legend of a dude. I don't know legend. what the leverage lesson was, though. I personally never got into fiction so much. I recently read Ender's Game. thought it was an interesting book. Didn't set my world on fire. Also read uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn. You read it? It's like a thousand pages. No, I didn't it? read it. Sorry, I read about a hundred pages of it. <laughs> and then I really just didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Like, I, if you ask me what happened, I'd say it's something to do with the railway. And that's about all I got out of it. <laughs> You've read a hundred more than me. Um, mate, just a, a quick side note or two side notes. One, Anne from Australia also asked the same thing. What fiction authors do you read? And mate, back on that, mate, some of the listeners remember a lot more about the podcast than we do, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, met up with someone the other day who's got a very strong retention of episodes well and truly built my own retention. Uh, mate, fiction-wise, when I heard Matt uh, Matt's question come in, I had to make sure that I started reading one. So I'm currently, uh, <laughs> now that the season's over, currently reading Origin by Dan Brown who did The Da Vinci Code, that sort of series. So when I was a kid, I read The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons and all those Dan Brown books. And I'm a big fan, so I thought yeah. season's over. I'll um, take a week to read a fiction book and see how we go. Is it any good? Yeah, it's good so far. Man, it's page turn. I'll get hooked in. Yeah. Mm, lovely. Matt, and a written question from uh, Anonymous, didn't, didn't drop the name in, is uh, what's your favorite movie? So movies for me, it changes a lot depending yeah. on where I am, but... 
Uh, one I watched recently was Eight Mile, but big one by Eminem, and mm. I was really up and about. Yeah. You know those movies at the end, like I was, there was no one around, mm. so I was like standing and fucking getting mm. getting rowdy. But <laughs> I actually, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you <laughs> Doesn't matter. Surely you know that. Huh? Oh, well, maybe it's just me. But uh, yeah, I just love the, the final scene. You know, it's just mm. the. The start of the movie, he's just an absolute dropkick who's going nowhere. And I'll probably, to be honest, I'll identify myself with his journey a little bit in some ways. And then, and at the end with the quote with the other rapper, and he just goes to flip the script on this shit. And then he goes out there and he just, you know, just really owns the moment and uh, really doesn't care what anyone else thinks of him and, and just goes for it. And I, yeah, I love it. I like him, mate. You only got one shot. Do not miss a chance to blow. Mm. Man, I like the uh, epic mo- uh, music movies as well, Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm looking forward to the Elton John one coming out. Very soon as well. And I like the psychological thrillers, the Inception, sort of Shutter Island, Sixth Sense type. I like kids' animated movies, Inside Out, Up, Zootopia. I love a good comedy as well, of course. Mm. Your voice went very soft then as you were delivering <laughs> that message. <laughs> well, they're good, they're good movies. Ins- mm. Mate, we had the Inside Out episode early, days, early on we? as well. Yeah. It's, not, it's not up anymore. So, again, I don't know if anyone's still around who heard that episode. We'll keep rolling here. Normally, when we um, play an audio question, we. Um, we pause it, play the audio, compose ourselves. Matt, I want to catch you live with this one. This one didn't come through the usual means. Oh, no. This one was just sent through, um, just uh, through some some different means. And this is uh, one specifically for you, mate. So I'm, I'm keen to hear, catch your reaction. Was well, something to do with me not being able to pronounce words properly? No, no, no. <laughs> we got a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of those. This is a this is a slightly um, just uh, just a question. Hey guys, it's Steve Glaveski here from the Future Squared podcast. Hope you're both well. If memory serves me correctly, I remember Adam Jones declaring that he was off alcohol, not only for a week, not only for a month, but forever. Just wanted to check in and see how that's all going. Mate, That's the question. How, how's that going? Mate, you've totally set me up with this one. Because <laughs> you just got sent through. <laughs> Steve Levesky, we obviously uh, had him on the podcast. We were interview, interviewed on his show as well. He directed that message directly at me, even though me and you both declared that. So, I've, Mate, The question was just, how's it going? There was no, nothing else that just, how's it going? Well, it's, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't quit forever. Um, I stopped drinking for about three months. And uh, slowly went down the pitcher plant. <laughs> For those who read the Al- listen to the Alan Carr episode, you uh, use the analogy of the pitcher plant. When the further you go down, the harder it is to climb out the pitcher plant. So I went from out the pitcher plant, and then I just like kind of dove two thirds of the way down. <laughs> uh, judging by the weekend, I just had it at the Wilson's prom. <laughs> oh man, that's too funny. How you going there with me? I think that's why you're the secret reason why you wanted to drop it. <laughs> I uh, I'm still off it. I uh, I won't admit that I've had zero. I've had the one drink, Good Friday earlier this year. Had one champagne, a bit of a celebratory champagne, but I'm back off it. Man, there's been a lot of people messaged in actually saying, uh, a few people have said they're off it. One person in the survey said the best thing they learnt was uh, the Alan Carr. He's only had a couple of beers this year. Uh, it's a powerful book, man, powerful book. I'd ho- I really do recommend anyone listening right now who hasn't listened to that episode, please listen to the full episode yeah. and... Uh, just listen almost and yeah make sure you listen to the end because I almost guarantee it's going to be a different perspective on alcohol that you've never really heard before man it sounds like you should probably listen listen back I think (laughs) you should (laughs) hey Adam and Adam 
It's David from New York. Congrats on episode 200 and more. Very inspiring. I've got a question for you all. It's about books, ironically. What book do you all want to write, either together or individually? And how has your book reading and podcast helped shape this? Thanks so much for all the work you do. Can't wait to hear your response. Cheers, David. David's a uh, the legendary host of the Portfolio Career Podcast as well. I think reading a lot of books, the biggest thing is probably showing us what we don't want to write or what not to write. A few obvious ones, we don't want to write a 300-page book that's got 100 pages of juice. There's plenty of those out there. Um, we want to be a bit more succinct. We definitely don't want to be sort of the, you know, I'm the hero, this is how you do it, we know everything, let's do it, do it this way. And I think we don't want to have too many sort of fluffy ideas um, without any sort of real-world relevance. Um, you know, there's, there's a bit of airy-fairy stuff that we've, we've read that probably wouldn't make the cut. So we've been thinking about writing a, a book for a, a long time. Twelve months ago, we had a half crack at it, and it would have been a piece of shit. Yeah, and yeah, we're just yeah. kind of uh, just slowly been crafting around with ideas. Recently, what we've done is we both made sure each of us writes at least four hundred words a day for two months. Mm. So we ended up with one hundred and twenty different entries of writing about things or great ideas from books that we've done previously. And now, just a really guide about what the things we're actually interested in writing about. And the next step is really to start packaging some of this and filling in other empty gaps into a coherent book that has those things you mentioned earlier and hopefully has a lot of value. And again, uh, if we think about why we started the podcast, the worst case scenario is we package some ideas, learn some things ourselves. So mm. I think in packaging a book, we're going to learn a lot ourselves in the worst case scenario. So what that package is looking like at the moment is something along the lines of, um, and this is a working title, entirely a working title, but like 10 ideas for the curious mind as an example. But I think the the whole idea of curiosity really underpins what the podcast is all about, what we're under about, what we're all about. Because if you think about curiosity, it's like a, a state of active interest or genuinely wanting to learn something and this wanting to learn something means you can embrace the real unfamiliar circumstances that are are out there in the world. So curiosity, I reckon, I see as a real weapon that allows you to deal with all those unfamiliar circumstances that you're going to come across with in your life. And I see it like a, uh, I used to play video games and if you've got curiosity, it's like you're searching around and you're picking up that magic amulet that make you deal with the big monster that's coming oh yeah that was me a bit of a tangent there <laughs> i don't know what, which game you're talking about but it sounds good that game will <laughs> that game won't feature in the book at all but the curiosity is the the, the framework we're good. going for yeah mate it was a pretty um pretty timely question as, as you said the last uh two months we put put a bet on that we both had to write minimum 400 words a day for the entire two months uh, and we got there and you know as you said we've been thinking about a book for a while a few different things we could do one is you know we've read um, a whole bunch of books and we could just do like you know here's the best thing from each book like a a whole bunch of short book summaries which we're probably not super keen to do because it seems a bit too scattergun one is you could sort of uh, we've had some sick interview guests we could do like a like what Tools of Titans did in terms of take each guest and take the best snippet. That's another sort of way to do it. But I think the way that we're definitely leaning towards is 
is packaging or grouping those ideas. Something like, you know, like we did for our 100th book episode, we took the lessons and put a whole bunch of books together or like what we did for the uh, meetup presentation, which was a bonus episode recently where we took one idea and and uh, packaged up a whole bunch of different mm. books into that. So that could be maybe a, a bit of a taste of the, the direction we're heading towards. Because it uh, goes into that analogy of like standing on the shoulders of giants. So we're not going to fully replicate what the messages are exactly from the giants. It's kind of like getting a cocktail, adding a bit of lime, a bit of vodka, and a bit of Kahlua, for example, and different things. And then <laughs> when you add a different enough of those concepts and you shake it up, you end up with a whole brand new concept, which is uh, something that we might kind of be the owners of, really. We'll claim it. We'll, we'll claim, claim it, it anyway. <laughs> yeah. The next question was written in from Amanda from New Zealand. And uh, she asked... What is a failure you've had and what have you learned from it? So, I get one that immediately comes to my mind. About 12 months ago, it was one of those things I thought, all right, I'm going to try and learn how to do public speaking like a lot of people. So, I went out there and threw my hat in the ring of Toastmasters, got involved, did what they do is like a speech craft course, 12-week course and all that. And basically, the epitome, the best of Toastmasters is someone who walks around like Tony Robbins and engages the room with eye contact and you know it's it's all pretty odd but then the first big speaking opportunity I had was a engineer's presentation or an instructional engineer seminar and what I did is I took these Toastmaster principles and then applied it to uh, designing for vertical movement one of the most <laughs> dry engineering <laughs> concepts ever and if I look back it's the most cringeworthy thing to think about because I was patrolling the stage like fucking Tony Robbins <laughs> talking about the most dry engineering thing in the world and I didn't really catch on at the straight at the time but if I think back, some people's faces were just so confused about who is this weirdo wailing his arms in the air, around in the air like a, a bloody idiot. So, that was a big mistake. Uh, what I've learned from that in public speaking now is that, you know, just when it's engineering, play the role of the engineer. You don't have to be a superhero uh, every time. And there might come the the time when you need to pull out the, the big Tony Rob- Robbins kind of bullshit guns. Yeah, I like it. That's an interesting one for sure. Um, two that sort of came to my mind. One is uh, a thing I tried, I think probably just before the, the we started the podcast called The Sock Club, uh, where me and a mate, we uh, thought we both started working, you know, corporate jobs and I was, a, as a young bloke, had no interest in shopping really so I had stinky old socks with holes in them and, and jocks that were falling apart at the at the seams and stuff so I thought maybe, you know, have a sock club where once a month you send out, you get a couple of pairs of socks or a pair of jocks or and then maybe we expand that to you get a tie or a shirt or something like that. But anyway, it started as with the sock club, got some cheap socks from China off Alibaba, um, did a bit of advertising, got a couple of um, young uni students to walk around the city handing out flyers and... Mate, we ended up getting um, ended up getting two people signed up to the sock club, um, but it was it was just uh, one of those things where it was nowhere near enough people to make it sustainable, to make it viable. We sort of did our low risk test. We probably spent five hundred bucks each to get the socks, build a cheap, easy website, take people's money, uh, and see if it works. So we sort of tested it out. Didn't quite work, but the the big lesson there was uh, it really wasn't a dip that I was willing to commit to you know whilst we we did a pretty cheap test in terms of time money and energy i think there's a fine balance between you know doing just half-assed tests to actually picking something you want to do and trying it out properly 
Next up, we've got another written question from Aaron from Australia. What's something a book has completely flipped your opinion on that still impacts you today? And there's a few obvious ones that uh, I guess really whacked me over the head of things I wasn't expecting. First, like the Alan Carr, The Easy Way to Control Alcohol. It was one of the books that I thought, oh yeah, we'll, we'll read this for the podcast. It's not really for me, but someone might get something out of it. And by the end is Magical Techniques. It crept inside my brain and, and really flipped, uh, flipped my opinions there. Um, another one that actually never made it onto the podcast was uh, Building a Story Brand. It was a book we read and recorded an episode on, but it didn't actually make the podcast. And that just that a simple idea about the, the story brand is that you know if you've got a, a business or you're trying to sell something, it's got nothing to do with you. You're not the hero. The, the customer is the hero. So there was a real uh, shift there, a real flip where you know previously you'll see people on their About Us page talk about the history of the company that was started by your great-great-grandfather in the 1830s and all this stuff about what you do and no one really gives a fuck when really it's about the customer as the hero and you're just there to guide them along the journey. So that was a fair flipper as well. One way that's really changed me at the core is my view of really how the world works in terms of say, you know, the two classic idealisms like capitalism versus communism. If you say they're the two extremes, I used to be probably very, very, very left leaning. I still am in some areas, but I used to think, uh, you know, just seeing what my mum went through is kind of like uh, I hated the rich they should all be taxed so the money should be all spread out so that, um, you know, people don't have to, to struggle at all financially. And then that extended into the area of, you know, humans are just stuffing up the world, capitalism is destroying the earth and all this kind of stuff. So before I started reading, I was kind of leaning in that direction, extreme left. And, you know, reading a lot of books like, say, Lessons of History, you start understanding that, conservatives are just as value as the radicals who propose change and it's the conservatives actually who give you that the roots of society uh, that keep everything in place and it's the tension of the progressives that actually give you this real meaningful push forward that's not too radical in it and it's not too conservative so it's right on that on that good balance so you know I've, I've probably got to the point now where I really understand both sides i'm definitely not as radical as i used to be and i'm really able to see a lot of radicals uh really do things that are in in counterproductive ways like in australia recently we had the libs win the election which is a little bit more conservative it's a bit of a uh conservative movement all around the world but one of the big problems was like the the greens and the lefts driving up through like the Queensland and the Stop Adani and all this kind of stuff, which I used to be, you know, well and truly all about. But by them accusing all the other people, make them feel like idiots and moralizing them, I'm sure that they just secured a lot more conservative votes. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's it's probably just a way to, to characterize how I used to be and how books really changed me. Man, another big one for me was when I first, very first started reading uh, before I you know, joined the real world, I guess, before I started working. Uh, and the first bunch of, the first 10 or 20 books I read were all pretty similar, like, you know, Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk and The Millionaire Fast Lane and The 4-Hour Work Week. So for me, it was very much, there was either there was the people that were hustling 24-7 or everybody else who was just lazy idiots. or just sheeps or just <laughs> idiots. Or, yeah, yeah, so... Very um, quickly realized that by reading more and more and more and by experiencing the real world a little bit, 
I realized that my opinion flipped there and that I had a bit of a taste that there's a hell of a lot of gray between those two extremes that I thought um, previously existed as well. And there are people inside organizations doing cool things uh, and there are people that are very happy doing what they're doing uh, and they're not either idiots or hustlers. Mm. Yeah, and just... And just to kind of add to what you were saying then, I'm sure you're in the same boat because um, I know you've known you pretty well yeah. as you've read read a lot as well. But the idea that there's no silver bullet, mm. I think very early days you'd read four-hour work week and oh, all you got to do is make an online course yeah. and <laughs> yeah, um, do X, Y, Z and then you're just living on a freaking, <laughs> just something ridiculous. <laughs> you're in the hammock on the beach. But you're just chasing these silver bullets, silver bullets, silver yeah. bullet, And then eventually you learn there's no such thing as a silver bullet which kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, it'd be great if there was, but it really does come down to a lot of it is hard work and if you uh, want to get good return, you actually get to put in some, some decent investment a lot of the time. And next up, we've got our last question of this episode. This is Maria. If uh, if you enjoyed this style of episode, we're keen to do a, another one in six months. You can ask us a question at whatyouwillearn.com slash question. And we'd love some feedback about what to do for season four at whatyouwillearn.com slash survey. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of other type of episodes we can do. We mentioned about the cocktail kind of episodes. Uh, yeah, we're interested to see if you want to hear that kind of stuff as well. So make sure you head to whatyouwillearn.com slash survey for all of that. Now we're going to hit it up with Maria. Hey, Adam and Adam. It's Maria. Big congrats on uh, three years of podcasting and 200 episodes. That's amazing. I love learning from you and uh, listening to you guys. It's always a lot of fun. Thank you. I would like to know, after all these years and also all the books you've read together, what is that you learned about each other, about your learning styles, about the different things you pick up from the same book? and how you help each other expand your thinking and then bring that together to us. Thank you for all the work you do for us. Bye now. Mate, do you recognize that voice? It's only got a double bass underneath it. That's the voice of uh, on Seth Godin, the Akimbo podcast. It's the very first one you hear. Oh, Hi, it is too. Do you know her? Yeah, she was in the um, Seth Godin uh, Podcasting Fellowship. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I do recognize that voice. Anyone who's listened to Akimbo, you would have heard that voice a couple of times as well. Yeah, it's a great voice, isn't it? It is. And, mate, she set us up. Mate, this is probably a a tough question here. Or, Mm. you know, tough in terms of had to go a bit introspective and she left it open for us to attack each other a little bit potentially or or praise each other. Depends. Mm. I don't know how you took it, mate. We'll start with an attack. (laughs) (laughs) It's an attack. We've, um, so, in terms of different learning styles, I think I you may agree or not agree. I think I'm more right brain than you, more... Uh, no, what's right brain? I don't know what the difference is. Left brain is more your rational, logical, I'm more intuitive. Mm. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, interested in more the unknown, mm. uncertainty, whereas I would like some... I, I'm happy to get pushed with a book and just... And to the point where if it just sounds good and if I'm getting pushed into the flow zone and I don't know it but I learn feel like I'm learning something in that zone that's almost enough for me whereas you'd be like just rationalize everything down to like what was it or what's that mean what, what, what are you going to do with Man, that so it sounds like you like the Harry Potter effect the intellectual masturbation of you like to feel like you're 
learning something, I'll even call if it, it doesn't uh, mean anything. I'll call it the ultimate node effect where you... <laughs> to throw back to the beginning of the episode <laughs> where a lot of books, you just, you're generating different nodes and you can't specifically understand where they're going to come. But when you've got a big enough network of nodes, it mm. does serve you in very, very big ways compounded over a long, long time. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Man, I'd say we have, we've drifted a little bit apart in terms of books. I'd say at the very start, there was probably 98% crossover of books we were interested in and 98% crossover of which mm. sections from the books we highlighted. I'd say it's probably like still 80% crossover of book selections. Still 97% crossover in highlights, but yeah, the, some of the intellectual masturbation where the learning to feel like you're learning, it probably doesn't get me going as much as something that's a bit more real world, <laughs> a bit of grassroots, ground level applicable. Man, I'll, give, I'll, I'll turn it around here. I've got a few positive things here in terms of your uh, learning styles. And uh, firstly, definitely, you spoke about um, the public speaking. So, you definitely consciously look for ways to get outside your comfort zone, look for ways of improvement. As you said, like you really... You thought, you know, public speaking, it's something I'm probably not super strong at. I want to commit. I want to get better. You went to Toastmasters a shitload. You made sure you did a whole bunch of presentations through work or through your own means and you're always practicing. So, that was a definitely one thing. Another thing, mate, you're, I feel like you're a lot more disciplined. You're much better than I am in terms of deep work and working without a deadline. Normally, like if it's my turn to do notes, we're recording on a Saturday morning. I'm probably up at Friday at 1 a.m. trying to finish it off, whereas you're probably, you're probably done by Tuesday night. Mm. So it's, uh, you're much better without a deadline than I am. Oh, shit, man. You say nice things now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, uh, and with you, mate, you're obviously the most intelligent person I've ever come across, which is uh, 90% of the time it it's serves you and 10% of the time it... <laughs> It fucks you up because yeah. I think... Uh, maybe, maybe probably more than 10% sometimes. I'll probably bump it up to, <laughs> yeah. to one in three where you judge your superior yeah. uh, thinking ability. And yeah, maybe rightly fair. so, maybe you're thinking on a different plane that the other person <laughs> just can't understand what what plane it is. But uh, I guess that's an insult, isn't it? <laughs> that's all right. No, I'll take, that's a bit of both. But actually, no, that does lead into one of my best compliments of you is that you genuinely your face lights up when you're about to cop an insult or something you you actually you genuinely do it's (laughs) not like it's really weird (laughs) most people get upset when you say something that's honest and straight you look forward to (laughs) copying honest criticism about yourself Mm. you'd say that's accurate yeah i'd say that's i probably i wouldn't say i enjoy uh or you, but I definitely, yeah. Or you, right. your superior intellect is putting on this smile mask, <laughs> like uh, Robert Greene style, and deep down you're just planning your your attack. <laughs> <laughs> just save that one for later. I like it. But um, yeah, we've uh, we've handled uh, some good disciplined attacking sessions at some times. Yeah, we've had a few attacks back and forth every yeah, now and then. It's been good. I think it's I think it's good. And mate, the other the, the other part of the. The question was, uh, you know, what are the different things we pick up from the same book? How do we sort of expand or add to each other's thinking? But then also, how do we bring it back to forming an episode? So I think that is that element of um, of you do like you know you go off and enjoy the the expansionary side of things, whereas I'm probably more trying to pull back towards the the ground level thing. So I think in that way we we differ and probably find a good balance. And the other point about the bring it back to the show to help other people learn as well was at the very start when we sort of did our highlights and we picked out the best bits and probably all we did was talk about the best bits like whether it's the best quote or the best lesson and 
um, as you say, we'd, we'd rolling rhino it and just trying to teach people the best stuff in the shortest amount of time possible. But what we came to realize is that what we were doing was we were cutting out a lot of the the journey or the the trajectory that a book takes you on in terms of building up with you know some stories or some studies or a bit of tension or a few questions to build up to eventually hit you with the lesson. Hmm. So we were cutting that out and just trying to hit people with the with a lesson. It probably didn't quite have the same impact. We used to say, yeah, build up the tension, then release. Whereas early days would be release, 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 yeah, release, release. release. And so yeah, learning to build up the tension is part of the book delivery process. Yeah. So that's the other thing we've we've tried to add in more now of rather than just go straight to the lesson, what's the best way to deliver that lesson? And it's something we're always thinking about and trying to improve each episode so that's it for the q and q and a episode so thank you everybody for listening next episode we're going to have our end of year episode we normally have a few drinks yeah now, what are we gonna do maybe i'll just have a few drinks <laughs> i'll drink for you <laughs> that probably won't work we won't do that we'll have to work something out though to, to break the script a bit yeah 